The new year is the perfect time to start building credit scores. Because when your credit scores increase, your opportunities do too. Like loan approvals and lower interest rates. Chime makes it easier to keep building your credit with a secured Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. You can use Credit Builder everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. Chime helps you build your credit score safely by using your own money to make everyday purchases and on-time payments. To apply, just open a Chime checking account with a $200 qualifying direct deposit. And don't stress, there's no annual fee or credit check required to apply and get started. Start building your credit history and finding new opportunities with the secured Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary. Good day, everyone. This is Tony Moskal with your high school sports podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for everyone. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. Who would have thought Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, the Blue Bloods of college basketball may not make the NCAA tournament. BetOnline covers even award shows. TV shows, reality TV. Bet Online has hundreds of props with real time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, the 24 hour online casino. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. On this week's podcast, I'm joined by someone who has tasted success at multiple schools. He is associated with putting together winning programs. He has two CIF championships, and his teams are always at or near the top of their respective leagues. His teams utilize a wide-open passing attack that has been successful at Burroughs Ridgecrest, where he won a CIF title in 2005, A.B. Miller in Fontana, Corona Santiago, Rancho Verde, and most recently at Beaumont High School. Coach Jeff Steinberg, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot, Tony. Great to be here. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. So let's start at the beginning. You were educated in Canada, University of Manitoba, and University of Alberta. Were, were you a Canadian football fan? Huge. Yeah, just like, just like uh, kids, kids growing up here would have dreams of playing in the NFL. I, uh, I had, well, actually, I, you know, I wanted to play any kind of pro football. But yes, I was a huge fan of both the NFL and CFL. So big Warren Moon and and a lot of the guys up there that that just put up some huge numbers with I believe the Edmonton Eskimos. That's right. Yep, Warren Moon played for the Edmonton Eskimos before uh, before he uh, he came uh, he came down south uh, to play, and he was there at a very good time in his career, and uh, had a, obviously an incredible transition into the NFL. Yeah, one of the best. Now, did the the wide open CFL influence your coaching philosophy at all? It it really did. Now, you have to understand that when you only get three downs um, at the youth and even the high school level, there's a little bit of a fear to throw the football um, because if you have an incompletion, that really gives you only one more down to. Uh, to be able to, uh, you know, to get 10 yards and get your first down. However, there, 
I, you know, I had some influences, uh, both while I played some coaches while I played and then guys that I coached both with and under that just heavily influenced me about getting the ball to playmakers in space and, and really utilizing every part of the field. And you've done that down here where a lot of people think that the field is, they use a lot of length, but a lot of people forget its width as well. That's right. And, uh, and even though, even though our field isn't as wide here, you can, you can create with, with formations. So, so it's really all about, you know, how are you going to use, uh, you know, both the width and the length of the field to your advantage? And, and, you know, part of it is plays, part of it is playmakers and part of it is formations. And you've done a good job of that because everywhere you've been, you've, you've had very successful offenses. So let's start back at the beginning. Burroughs Ridgecrest, how did you find your way all the way up to Ridgecrest, California? So, so this is a really cool story. I was an assistant football coach at the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg. I was, uh, I was teaching high school, and then at the end of the day, um, very similar to small colleges in the U.S., you know, a lot of the guys are walk-ons, so teachers, police officers. Uh, and so at the end of the day, I would, I would go to the university, coach football. My wife would pick me up, you know, late. Um, it's just part of, part of the job, I guess. And uh, at the same time, we would come visit my brother in California and come visit him in March and wear shorts. And I just kind of thought it was a really cool, cool thing to be able to, to wear, wear shorts in March. And so I wanted to, I wanted to become a head football coach. And I wanted to, I wanted to coach, uh, I guess, on a big, big stage as I could and, and in, in this kind of climate. So I just, I put out a, a bunch of applications and resumes all over. And it was kind of when the internet was first taking off with being able to apply for jobs online. So I applied for a bunch and then I got a call. I guess it was probably late April from, uh, from Ernie Bell, the principal at, at uh, Burroughs High School in Ridgecrest and asked me if I wanted to come up come down for the interview. And uh, I did and uh, got the job and moved uh, moved there that summer. Ridgecrest, I've been out there, been by there a bunch of times, been out there once for a football game, and, and they certainly love their football. They love their boroughs out there. Was, was that a tough adjustment for you, going to a small, smaller town with maybe fewer people, but where they just love the football there? Well, I, you know, I was a city kid. My wife, my, my wife grew up, um, a little more, uh, rural setting and, uh, it, it, it took just, a, I probably the biggest adjustment, Tony was just kind of being away from family. Like we, you know, we had, we'd spent the first six years of our marriage, uh, with family at, by our side. So whether it was, you know, my parents or going to see her family and we, we, we had access to them all the time. And so I think that was the biggest adjustment. Um, we, we actually really loved living, living in, in Ridgecrest with just a smaller community where people really embraced not only, not only football, but they, they really embraced like high school athletics and things that were all about the kids. And it was, it was a really cool deal to just get the community involved in the football program and, uh, and be, you know, be able to do some really awesome things with, with football and, uh, and just kind of see the program grow. Well, you were pretty successful there. You had a quarterback in David Lafomboise, if that is correct. 
3,000 yards, 33 touchdowns. Did you change their style at all, or were they a, a predominantly throwing team? Oh no, no. So, so we had we had uh, we had a few different quarterbacks. David was David was very successful his senior year. Um, you know, taking us to a CIF championship. We also had Karsten Swain, who uh, who wound up playing at the University of Wyoming, and uh, he came in. I think I want to say second in the state in passing his junior year. And, uh, and then his senior year led the state in passing, but here's a really cool story. No, they were like most high schools at the time, uh, you know, power counter, ISO, little bit of play action, maybe some quick game. And, uh, our first game, we threw the ball 50, I, I believe it was either 52 or 54 times. Um, unfortunately we lost, but the game ended much later than people were. <laughs> so we uh, i i guess i you know i can say that we gave them their their money's worth early on that first season even though we weren't able to to win win a bunch of games that first year people are yelling down at you hey coach i gotta get my kids at home get them to bed man you're taking me too long here and and uh yeah yeah we we did have some people yelling <laughs> but they 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 quickly embraced it and uh and we were you know we were we were probably one of the earlier teams running uh, spread no huddle. What did you learn up there? I mean, we're, we're talking several years later. What did you take away from there that you still use today? Uh, I'd say my philosophy on, on working with kids and, and relationships, and that's really the, the foundation of any solid, solid football program, and uh, really just get, gaining a philosophy of, how to make football, not just about the football team that's playing um, on Fridays, but make it about everybody that's part of that experience, the color guard, the cheerleaders, drumline, the band, everything, and really how you can make it uh, a great community atmosphere. You head over to A.B. Miller, Citrus Belt League, and at that time, I know that when I was in high school, which is many years ago, there were only a couple of schools out there. It was Fontana, which was the biggie, Eisenhower, Colton. But that area has grown so much. How old was A.B. Miller when you took that job? Oh, I'm trying to think maybe 13, 13 14 years old. So they were an established program. They, 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 yeah, John Tyree. John Tyree had left uh, – had left uh, Fontana High School. Dick Brook was obviously the coach. And then I believe John Tyree, he was either the coach that opened the school or came after the coach that opened the school at A.B. Miller. And, uh, and he kind of finished off, you know, finished off his career in the, in the CBL as, uh, as the coach of, uh, of A.B. Miller. And I came in after, uh, after Coach Tyree. And you go 11-1 and one there. You've got a quarterback, A.J. Springer, over 2,000 yards, 21 touchdowns. What did you take from Ridgecrest over to A.B. Miller that you put in place that really, really worked? Well, I, I think I got spoiled when I was in Ridgecrest. With We, we started to, to have players understand, like kids were learning the system in Junior All-American and and we had kids that were a lot of four-year players in the program. So it was very easy when somebody came in as a freshman, if they weren't quite savvy as to what was going on, 
the players were, were teaching each other. And, and, uh, I probably could have made changes with like just the, the, the verbiage and things like that. Um, and didn't because I got spoiled. But so what I did was when I got to, uh, when I got to AB Miller, I realized after the first year that I had to simplify the system, uh, so that we could install it a lot quicker. And that was kind of like some growing pains my first year. And, and then the other thing was, we did not have many grade problems when I was at Burroughs. You know, the, you know, if you had a grade problem, you just understood you weren't going to play football. So it was kind of in the culture. Well, that wasn't in the culture at A.B. Miller at the time. So I had to, uh, I had to make some changes uh, just in terms of staying on top of kids, creating opportunities for them to improve in the classroom. And I actually used a coach's stipend the three years that I was there for an academic coach. So, so this was a coach that was not an, an off field position. And he set up all the study hall. He monitored the grades. He would stay on top of kids. He would send them off, farm them out to teachers when they needed help. And I thought that was just one of the, one of the cooler things that we were able to do there. Well, the, we all know that the coach's stipend is, is such a large amount of money. You probably had a whole lot left, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, we didn't. But uh, but I I was able to found to find uh, a teacher on campus who re- like was really passionate about helping the kids in the classroom, and so he was part of our staff. And it's just that his role was he was an off the field, he was an academic coach, and that's just taking care of the kids, showing that you care for the kids. You then head down to Corona Santiago, and, and you've got one of the best quarterbacks. That, that Southern California has seen in, in Blake Barnett, who went to Alabama. Things didn't work out for him there. And then he goes to Arizona State. What was it like for you going from the smaller towns and now going to that bigger, you know, more, I guess, popular, populated environment? Very, so very populated environment, uh, a high premium on athletics in, uh, in the Corona Norco School District, but also in the city of Corona, you know, you've got a lot of great baseball players that have come out of there. Uh, girls club volleyball, swim, and obviously football. And uh, and my first year at the school, uh, I want to say we were we signed, I believe, uh, three Division One kids my first year, and then uh, every year, every year we'd have anywhere between two to two to five kids that were signing. Uh, Division one, division one. And uh, as a matter of fact, my first year, uh, we had Brandon Kinnett, who, uh, who was the first student in the school district to graduate early. So at the time, they weren't letting kids graduate in December. Well, he was just so far ahead and, uh, and his parents met with the district that he was able to graduate in December and start at Duke early. Uh, while kids were, you know, entering second semester, he was a freshman at Duke and wound up having a very good career there as a senior, uh, wanted to be a little closer to home as his, as his mom got ill. And so he transferred to Fresno State. But uh, but he kind of he kind of started things off for us uh, with the quarterbacks at at Santiago. And then obviously, you know, Blake did an incredible job and it's just a coach's dream, the kind of athlete he was. So. It was uh, it was really cool, and our plan was to to eventually move to Corona. It just didn't work out. Um, it was really cool just being able to uh, to coach some really good athletes and 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 guys that were 
were doing a great job in the classroom and were ready to go to college when they graduated. And then when you talk about the level of football, I mean, in your league, now you're dealing with Corona Centennial, you're dealing with Norco. How tough was the adjustment to step up? I mean, the level of play just probably got a lot better. No disrespect to the other places you were, but but Centennial and Norco, those are those are Southern California's couple of the top programs out here. Yeah, so so it, it, it's all relative. Um, the guys that were coaching in our program understood understood uh, the things that we needed to do. The players did as well. Uh, we had great administration support. While I was there, they uh, they were able to uh, to finish building. Uh, we had a three thousand square foot weight room. Whereas early early on in uh, in Corona, the, like the older schools in the district, Santiago, Norco, um, they had they had outdoor weight rooms. So we had a big outdoor weight room for uh, for I want to say my first uh, four years there. And then the last two, they they got this building done, and we had a beautiful three thousand square foot weight room with uh, you know all the bells and whistles and all that. So it was it was nice to be able to to uh, you know to to not have to train in in the heat every day. And what was it like playing against Matt? I mean, you look at his offenses at Centennial, and they're constantly putting up forty plus points a year. You're a wide open kind of guy. What was it like? How did you scheme to? to try and stop his offense. And was it similar to yours? So very, very different, but here, you know, really, really cool story here is while I was at Burroughs, we went down a number of times uh, as a staff to go meet with uh, coach Logan and pick his brain. And, you know, there, there was one year where I wanted to get some ideas from him in terms of the way he practiced plans. Cause I thought he was way ahead of guys. Uh, with the way he practiced, planned, and ran his practices. Another year we met with them uh, on uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And then, obviously, I, I couldn't clinic with him anymore when uh, when uh, I was at Santiago. But when I took the uh, the job at Rancho, I brought him in to, to clinic our staff as well. So I've always had huge admiration for the stuff that, that he did, uh, not only offensively, but program organization too now. In terms of planning for them, well, you know, it really comes down to, you know, players and, and, you know, you can, you can scheme all you want, but if you don't have the players uh, of the ability that another team does, it just makes it a little tougher. It was, it was fun. It was challenging. Um, I hated losing, (laughs) Um, but I loved watching them. I, so, so it's a little bit of a contradiction when you're on the other sidelines and you really admire the kind of coach he is and the kind of offense he runs, and you really admire how he can scheme and the thought process during games, but you just hate what they're doing. <laughs> it's so good, and you you look across the way and go, oh, man, here we go again with, with these running backs that they've had and the receivers they've had and the quarterbacks they've had and just the, the, the great teams that they've had down there, but – but you know, and you did a great job down at Santiago, and then you head over to Rancho Verde, another another great quarterback, Brock White, his sophomore year, forty touchdowns, and and you win that CIF championship game. Which when I talk to you know people that I know at St. Francis, we we still talk about how much fun that game was. What was it like for you to coach in that game? Just what an incredible game! Like it was the lead changes seemed like every score was a lead change. Um, 
the, the just strategy during the course of the game, trying to slow down the other team. There were some good defensive plays. There were some special teams plays. Um, it was fun to watch some of the guys on their team. Uh, I know that they're, they're big receiver playing tight end at UCLA. Now they had a great quarterback. And of course, uh, you know, enough can't be said about uh, coach bonds, uh, you know, may rest in peace, but the incredible program that he built there. And just when you play against somebody that you would consider a friend um, and somebody that's a, a stand-up guy, it's always a fun thing to be able to play against those guys. Yeah, and, and I've known Jim for a long time. And and that field, that stadium, is one of my favorite places to do a football game because and you were on that visitor side looking up at those stands in the school buildings and, and the, the smoke from the barbecue coming off that hill. I think that's the best view in all of Southern California high school football. I, I would definitely agree. My wife and I still talk about what an unbelievable setting that was. And as you look to the home side and you look up the hill and you see – it's just fans all the way up to the school. And, uh, you know, you don't want to say hostile environment because they've got a really good fan base. But it's really it's 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 hard when you look across the field and you see all, you know, as many people as we brought, um, you look across the field and you go, wow, like it was it was pretty cool. Now, take me back. So if I'm, my memory serves me right, a sophomore kicker who had never kicked a field goal in a game before, correct? No. So so um, he, was a, he was a junior that year. Okay. So he was a junior that year, and he had kicked some field goals in a game, but he had never, never had an opportunity to kick a game winner or anything that was going to be remotely close to that. Um, but we did a, we do a drill during the practice week every week. We do a drill where, you know, the offense has to drive down the field and we kick last second field goals. And now we didn't have to run them on the field with time running out. We were able to, to get a stop in the clock. Um, we, we had, a I believe, a timeout. We had a timeout and then we called a play where we were going to get the ball, catch it, get out of bounds, or it was going to be an incompletion. So it wound up being incomplete. And uh, we lined up in the exact spot. We would always go left hash because I kind of felt like that was like the, the, the challenge for him at practice. We would always go left hash somewhere between the 20 and 25 yard line. And I believe we, we kicked, it was a 32 yard field goal. So he kicked it from the 25 and that kid just nailed it right down the middle. What did you say to him before he went out there to kick that field goal? If you said anything to him, this is it, man. This is this is this is uh, just like practice. And if you miss it, you're walking home, right? Well, that I didn't want to put that in his head. I said, just like practice. What a great opportunity for you. And now, after that CIF title, you decide to leave because now you're closer to home. But that team, that Rancho Verde team, had a ton of talent. You had Brock White, Xavier Ugorji, Jalen Hunt, Jackson Turner. They were all returning. How difficult was it for you to leave that group that you would want to see I have title with, but knowing that you're so much closer to home at Beaumont? Yeah, it was it was it was a tough decision because I knew that we had pretty much most of the team coming back. And uh, but after uh, after meeting with uh, with uh, Dr. Pierce, who was the principal at the time. At uh, at Beaumont, 
I had met with her several times and, and each time I met with her, uh, it made it a little easier in terms of understanding that this is going to be a great situation here that I'm coming into. So initially my first meeting was, well, we'll go meet, but this, you know, there's no way I'm leaving this, this job. I've got a great setup, great kids, easy drive. And then the more and more we met, initially it was, well, I need to look into this because it's closer to home. But really in the end, it wasn't so much that it was closer to home. That was just kind of the bonus in the end, because, you know, I'm not going to take a job somewhere where, where it's going to be a step down from what I've already done or what I've already built. So I had to, in my mind, believe that this could potentially be something that is even a greater opportunity. It seems that wherever you go, the team had struggles prior to you being there and after you leave. Burroughs went one and nine after you leave. A.B. Miller made the playoffs one year after you left, but then went five and six. You come to Beaumont, you take over a team that, that lost their head coach um, due to a, a situation. They were five and five in 2017. They missed the playoffs. In a four-year period, they were 17 and 34. And you just, you start winning, you know, first year you go eight and five, uh, you, you lose in the semis. What is it that you do what, when you get into a program coach? What are the first five things that you know you need to do to get that program in the direction you want them to go? Well, I don't, I, I wish I could come up with five. I think I may struggle to come, to come up with one, but so, <laughs> so, so I think that, that, Anytime you take a program over, you've got to identify what are the challenges in this program. And um, I'll tell you what, like the better, the better they are, the harder it is to find. So Rancho Verde, I had to find what I considered not negatives, but just like, what are some challenges? What can we do a better job at? So that, that, you know, I think when you can identify those challenges, you kind of set the bar higher. And so, so I had to do that. So um, you know, it, it, you know, little, little, I don't want to say snooping around, but you got to talk to people, you got to find some things out. And so I had to look into things that I, that I considered to be challenges at, at each one of the schools. Um, so that would be the very first one. The, the, the second one is right away, you've got to connect with the most important people in your program. And that's going to be the kids playing for you. So I've always taking the time to sit down with every kid in the program, whether it's a five minute meeting or a 10 minute meeting, sit down with every kid in the program and just kind of get a pulse for where things are at. And then I also, you know, in the past met with the, uh, the outgoing seniors um, and try to get to as many of them as I can just to kind of, you know, like, like give me some, some great things about the program. What would be things that you felt like were missed out? And, and that kind of really helps you gauge where, where they're at. And then the third one is, uh, you know, you've got to hire a staff. And uh, with the staff, you know, obviously you want to get guys that are beyond passionate about working with kids, guys that really not only understand my vision, but are able to help sell it um, every moment of the day. And then the third part with those guys is they've got to be competent in what they're coaching. So I guess in a nutshell, that's probably been my simple simple formula like it you'll notice like i didn't talk anything about x's and o's or or you know fundraising or any of that stuff that's all secondary it it really starts with with the people in the program 
Well, let, let's talk real quick about X's and O's because there are a lot of guys that are out there that they pride themselves on. They can sk- out scheme other guys. How important is that aspect of the game? And we both know it's important versus getting a group of kids to buy into what you as a head coach are saying as far as everything program wide goes. So it's, it's probably four to one in favor of people. Um, you like a, 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 a scheme can kind of make up for a few flaws, but if you have players that aren't passionate, don't believe in each other, um, aren't hungry, there's no scheme that'll help you out. But you can have players that are those things that I just said, and that will make up for any deficiencies that you may have in schemes. So I don't know how many guys I've ever out-schemed. I've tried to make our schemes as simple as possible because I don't think I can out-scheme guys. <laughs> well, you've been pretty successful whether you're scheming them or not scheming them. Um, but I, I agree that a lot of it is getting kids to buy into to what we're trying to do and, and, and keeping it simple. Let's take a moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare, dead stock, or the latest release, Find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go for the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. Tough word for me to say. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers for $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Now, let's talk about some of the other things that you're involved in. Recently, you hosted something called the Head Coaches Academy. What was that exactly, and how did that come about? So I've been really fortunate both um, as a player playing for some great coaches um, and then as an assistant coach coaching under some really great head football coaches and I know that not everybody has that opportunity. Um, and there's guys that want to eventually, they either want to be head coaches or they want to be in a position where they can help their head coach more. And so I just thought this would be a, a great way to give back and, and help people out through, you know, not just myself, but bring some other guys into the fold as well that I've got a lot of respect for. A guy, you know, uh, Rick Jones, who's been a, a big mentor to me and, and other guys and put on a clinic that was no X's and O's at all. Everything about culture and organization in, in your program. And that's, I think that goes such a long way because coaches, I I think coaches come in, in kind of two areas, those that like to share and those that want to keep everything close to the vest. You seem to be one of those guys that loves to share everything with people, um, which I believe helps younger coaches. And, and those of us that are a little bit, you know, older in, in this field, maybe we need to learn some new things from people. Has that been your philosophy the whole time? 
I've always been a student and just, you know, been a very curious person as to, you know, is there a better way to do things? Or that I always believe there's so much that I don't know that I need to learn. And so every year I'm just trying to learn more, whether it's, it's relationships, uh, organizing your program. Is there a better way to, to run practices, uh, weight room development? Is there a simpler way to, to run drills or, or schemes that you're running? And, and so I'm always looking to, uh, to kind of, I guess, uh, you know, blow up my own gestalt, <laughs> um, yeah. and, uh, and see if, if there's just a better way to do things. And, and, uh, you know, I think, I think you've got to humble yourself and accept the fact that there is always time and things that you can learn and, and you can learn from anybody. And you've got several instructional videos out. Some of those are taking a program to new heights, developing a weekly and off-season plan for your air assault offenses, the play-action screen game, the spread-run game, the, the option game. The, and those are great things that, that people can utilize depending on what they want to do. But how many offenses have you run in your career? Because it seems that these videos kind of cover everything. So they, they all fall under the umbrella of, of our, of our spread, uh, spread no huddle offense. Um, now, I would say that the offense has evolved over the years, but the concept that I believe in have probably always stayed the same in terms of how we're going to run the football, how we can move the ball down the field. Those concepts stay the same. They, they may just look a little different because of the evolution of the game. And it has evolved definitely because, you know, you go back years and years ago, it was eye backs, a tight end and, and two receivers and, and it's power football. And we all know the game has changed. How important has it been for you to get kids back on campus? What has that been for your, the mental health of not only you guys, but, but the, the kids as well? To, to, you know, to me, it's, it's a, uh, I'm trying to find an analogy, but you know, like I, I love kids, you know, obviously I've got my own um, at home and in our program. And I will always be loyal and do everything I can to, to help kids out and, and to, to not, um, you know, like they always say, like, you know, like, is this something like you want to die on the hill for? And, and so, you know, you've got to, I know that in life you have to pick your battles, but this is to me right now with what we're going through, I would say one of the biggest battles that a coach can can join the fold on is fighting to get our kids back on the field. Um, we all know we all know the damage that's been done both academically to kids from being online and being on the computers um, all day and at home without being able to you know get out. Not, so not only has there been academic damage, but the social emotional um, issues as well that have come about in almost the entire last year as a result of being home. So as a coach, I'm doing everything in my part to help get these kids back on the field. And how have you prevented boredom with them throughout this time where it, everything was on Zoom, on the computer, not at, not at school? Well, I think coaches are probably some of the most creative and adaptable creatures that you can, uh, that you can find. And uh, we I don't think we did anything different than than most other programs. 
by the third by the third day of COVID, we were all up and running with our entire program on Zoom, and uh, we had daily workouts for them to do. We had Zoom meetings, Zoom meetings uh, throughout the week that we were doing, and we we've been doing that. You know, we were doing that right from right from March last year, and we continued we continued it. You know, through the spring and summer, and then fall, and then took it to the next level with with getting um, forms out to the kids just to gauge the temp, the pulse and get feedback from kids on a variety of issues and keep them, keep them kind of mentally sharp by having them do goal setting on the forms and just using the forms for feedback. And then obviously when we were able to get back on the field in, in October in some sort of capacity, uh, it was just great to be able to see them on campus and see, see their faces. And I know being myself teaching at a high school, seeing the kids lined up outside the gate, whether it's the girls' soccer team or the volleyball team or the football team, these kids just are so happy to be back. Now, are we running out of time for football this year? And what are you telling your your seniors? And if we do have a season, how much will it set coaches back, or maybe you can just speak for yourself, on not having spring practice for next year? Well, I took a look last week and uh, I, I didn't include the, the Zoom meetings, but I, I, I took a look at, okay, when, when did we start to see the players um, in person, physically on campus? And I counted 52 workouts that these players have been coming to without being told or giving any assurance there was going to be a season, without any promises. And I just think that it speaks volumes of the kind of kids that we've got out there when we can get the team staying together, staying focused, finding ways and continuing to work through it after they get basically punched in the gut by, by the state time and time again. And so, you know, when people say that kids aren't, you know, today's kids are snowflakes and all that, I don't, I don't buy that. I think, I think today's kids are some of the toughest kids that, uh, and greater, greatest leaders that, uh, that, we, that we've come across. And so we just tell them, guys, look, there's been no promises, but if there's anything we can do, we have got it. We have got to stay positive and keeps our, keep our hopes up alive. And, you know, for, for the underclassmen, we just tell them, guys, if there's no season, this is just an opportunity for you to, uh, to continue getting better for the next season. And for our seniors, we just have to look this, at this as every day we get to be together is another day that we get to stay together because we know that, you know, you, you don't have an infinite amount of time as a senior at the high school. It's, it's finite and we want to spend and maximize, spend all that time that we can together and maximize, maximize that, those moments. So let's just, let's just really appreciate this and keep working through this and stay positive and, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get through it. Now, the second part of your question, if I think that it'll affect anything for next year, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at this as, as, I guess, increased opportunities in the offseason to work with our kids. And uh, any games that we have, we know that there's going to be no state playoffs. So really, you know, the wins, losses don't really mean anything. I think that you have to look at this spring as, as twofold. Number one, a way to promote, a way to promote your seniors. And then number two, it's an opportunity to develop all your players for the upcoming season. And hopefully, hopefully we can get something done. Now, 
Last thing I want to ask you about is you have a quarterback academy where you refer to quarterbacks as your OKGs, our kind of guys. What is Jeff Steinberg's kind of guy, whether it's the quarterback, the left guard, or the place kicker? Yeah. So, so an OKG is, you know, number one, he's just, he's real. This is, this is what you get. Like, I don't want robots. Like if a kid's a humorous kid and he can keep things light at practice, I want him to be that. And, and, and uh, if a kid's a little more serious and, and, you know, he kind of keeps things closer to the vest, um, I want him to be who he is and, and, and let his passion show every day. The second thing is I want, I want somebody who's really going to work hard and understand that, that school is an opportunity um, to, to take you one step closer to your goal. The more education that you have, the more education you have. Now, whether that education is academic in the sense that it's going to get you to a four-year institution, great. If that, if that education is going to be learning how to be the best plumber you can be or journeyman or whatever, that's awesome as well. But for a player to just to understand how important education is and the, the doors that it opens, the more educate, the more educated that you are. And then somebody who, somebody who is a leader, leader with his friends, he's a high character kid. He speaks in truth. He works hard and uh, he's just a good person to be around. To me, those are the OKGs. And we all want that. And no matter what program we we are experienced, whatever, whatever we're involved in. Um, Coach, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this with me. Before I let you go, knowing that you're from Canada, I've got five off-the-wall hockey questions for you. <laughs> okay, now before I answer that, I want to let you know that I'm probably one of the few Canadians who's never played organized hockey, so... <laughs> really? That's okay, but we'll, 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 we'll just go through with it. Your favorite hockey team? My favorite hockey team is the Winnipeg Jets. Okay, your favorite hockey movie? My favorite hockey movie is Slapshot. As, as it should be. <laughs> your favorite hockey player? My favorite hockey player is Wayne Gretzky. Okay, your favorite place to see a hockey game? My favorite place to see a hockey game would be in the Saddle Dome uh, in Calgary when I was younger. And your favorite hockey experience as a fan? My favorite hockey experience as a fan was before before the Canadian teams joined uh, the NHL. They were in the WHA, and I had an opportunity to see the Golden Jet Bobby Hull play in the Winnipeg Arena. Wow. Bobby Hull, one of the best, and his son – uh, also, both in the Hall of Fame, that's, you know, two fantastic players. Um, a Kings or Ducks? Which one are you a fan of? I'm a Kings fan. Okay, good, as it, as it should be. Um, well, Coach, I want to thank you again for taking the time to do this with me. Um, I know our paths have crossed a couple times, and, and I'd like to get our prep zone guys out to a Beaumont game to, to see what you got going on out there. It's you know, it's some good football out that far, but it's far away, but still good quality football. And and I know you guys have a big rivalry game out there. Maybe we can get out there um, in the future to to cover one of those. That that would be awesome. And I can guarantee you that uh, not only will it be a great, great uh, product on the field, but we'll give you an awesome experience if you come out to Beaumont.
Fantastic, Coach. Thank you for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. And for the rest of us out there, let's let's keep following the protocols. Let's keep doing what we're supposed to do. Hopefully, time's dwindling down that we can get these kids back on the field or whatever area they compete in as soon as possible. I want to thank Coach Jeff Steinberg for taking the time to join me today. And for everybody else out there, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.